Black Friday. It's the biggest online shopping day of the year. And for the next few weeks, all we're talking about is maximizing your holiday traffic and increasing average order value. A great way to do that is to offer bundle deals. And the easiest way to do that is with the Bold Product Bundles app. The Bold Bundles app is my favorite app for creating bundle offers. And during times like Black Friday, when customers are probably looking to purchase multiple items anyway, it's just a smart move to make it super easy for them to buy more. And since it's a bold app, you know it's going to have all the bells and whistles. They let you create three different types of bundles. First is the standard bundle, like buy a specific hat and scarf together, get 10% off. And then there's the mix and match bundle. This would be like buy any hat and any scarf and get 10% off. When you add the items to the cart, it automatically looks for bundles and reduces the prices. I love this one because it lets customers choose their own bundle offer. And then the third bundle, they just added. It's called the BOGO Bundle. And just a side note, one of the things I love about Bold is they're constantly adding new features and improving apps. But an example of a BOGO Bundle would be buy any two hats, get a free scarf. So the great thing about their app is the widget to promote a bundle shows on every product page. So it's always there, teasing your customers to spend just a little more. And of course, Bold makes it so customers can add a bundle with one click too. Now, bundles are something every store should consider doing. Now, if Amazon does it on almost every single product page, that might be a hint that you should too. The best part, you can add Bold Bundles app to your store free for 30 days by visiting boldcommerce.com or searching Bold Bundles in the Shopify app store. Additional support for the unofficial Shopify podcast comes from SEO Manager. You know the benefit of SEO. The higher you rank in search engines, the more visitors your store will have. And more visitors means more sales, which means more money in your pocket. But how do you do that? That's where SEO Manager comes in. It helps Shopify store owners get found in search engines, and it's trusted by thousands of Shopify stores. It leads the market in both innovation and usability. And it's no wonder. SEO Manager adds an entire suite of tools to help attract new customers by fully optimizing your store. So here's a few of my favorites. It scans your site for SEO issues, offers keyword suggestions, adds structured data support, analyzes missing pages and redirects, and it even integrates with Kit, Shopify's personal marketing assistant. And that's not all. It does a whole bunch of more stuff. All of these things will help you to be easily found in Google and other search engines. And best of all, it's easy to get started. You can launch SEO Manager on your store in minutes, and their friendly support team is always on standby if you need help. Plus, as a special offer to our listeners, you can get SEO Manager right now for 10% off forever. Sign up at seomanager.com unofficial. That's seomanager.com unofficial. Hello and welcome back to the unofficial Shopify podcast. I'm your host, Kurt Elster, recording from scenic, beautiful Skokie, Illinois, the fifth floor high above Westfield Old Orchard Mall. And joining me today is a, a wonderful, interesting, fantastic, you'll like this one, uh, Shopify merchant from cowbucker.com. What the heck is Cowbucker? They sell the world's first and only combination cowboy trucker hat. It's quite the, quite the claim to fame. But the company was founded by a one Derek Schloss, who I wonder if anyone ever, if anyone will remember this, as an eighth grade ball boy for the LA Clippers, Derek famously wept after tripping an NBA player with a mop during a televised game. I thought 
that's you poor man oh my gosh yeah that was a that was a, a brutal time in my life for sure and thankfully it was kind of before just before the uh the virality of, of youtube videos and clips but yeah that was a a pretty a pretty depressing time in my life for sure <laughs> well it's still even an accident like that still is a much more interesting story than uh, i would imagine most uh, people crying on television <laughs> so, it's true in your free time you are a marketing entrepreneurship instructor at the university of oregon school of business congratulations and of course co-founder and ceo of cowbucker who is leading your team to trademark better adventures all day, every day. Derek, thanks for joining us. No problem. Thanks for having me, Kurt. My pleasure. Okay, let's start with Cowbucker. What the heck is it? Yeah, so Cowbucker has kind of a a fun, interesting kind of narrative story. In 2014, uh, I was a student, a JD MBA student at the University of Oregon. I was pursuing my my law degree and my my business degree in entrepreneurship. Did you get your JD MBA? I did, yes, and I actually, thank you, and I, uh, I also took the bar exam in Oregon and passed, so I'm technically also a, a lawyer, although I'm not currently practicing, um, but in, in, yeah, in 2014, I was in kind of the final couple of months of my entrepreneurship program in the MBA uh, school, and uh, I had a, a friend of mine, Chris, uh, who uh, had approached me, and um, he said, you know, I've got this kind of, this this idea that's been, I've been kicking around for the last 10 years, and uh, he showed me a drawing, a prototype of of a uh, of a of what at the time was um, kind of the first you know pen on paper version of of this cowboy hat trucker hat combination, and um, so we decided to kind of run with it and and incubate the idea as a kind of a class project. Our last couple months of business school, we all had uh, me, Chris, and uh, our other co-founder Whitney all had kind of jobs lined up after we were graduating and had other things that we were going to go pursue. But thought it'd be kind of a fun project to to play around with during those final months of business school. Uh, we ended up putting together a couple of prototypes. Uh, Chris and his wife uh, cut up a trucker hat and and taped it to a piece of cardboard and so that we could show our friends and family and have them kind of laugh at us. Um, And then we also, you know, thought it could be fun to kind of show it around to stores and see if anyone would be interested in picking it up. And one of those stores was the Duck Store. They're the the flagship University of Oregon retailer on and off campus. And they've got about eight eight or nine locations throughout Oregon. Uh, So they're, and they're kind of a big, uh, big retailer uh, where we're from and and we showed it to them and we kind of got passed passed around from manager to manager and employee to employee until we we finally got a chance to sit down with with one uh, named Brian Wright and you know Brian you know saw the uh, kind of saw the potential and said you know what you guys don't really have any experience doing stuff like this right no you know manufacturing experience sales marketing licensing experience any of the stuff that kind of we look for when we bring new products like this into into our space but I'll tell you what, if you can make 144 of these by the time football starts in, in four months, then, you know, we'll buy them from you. And so we decided to kind of uh, figure out how we could do that. And, um, and you know, in October of 2014, we we were able to drop off 144 units at the duck store, and uh, they started selling them like crazy, and kind of the rest is history there. So you were able to get your first order your so your very first order here because mo like the advice we give is like all right you got to come up with the idea and validate it by just selling one to someone it could be you know someone you know anything as long as you can get someone to pay so much as a dollar for your thing that's step one to validating the idea you skipped from well the initial validation i think was um your co-founder saying hey i've got this idea tell me it's not stupid and then going putting it together as a, a tape together prototype 
than having the chutzpah to attempt to sell these things in mass. You sold 144 as your very first order. That's actually, you pitched it as like, ah, it's no big deal. But man, that is really quite the success when you're starting out. Like getting getting those first 10 orders is a struggle. You managed to sell 144 units in one go. Yeah, you know, I, it's thank you for saying that. I, I don't think about how much of an accomplishment I think it was. At the time, it just felt like, wow, we have a lot of work to do in order to even fulfill this thing. Um, but but yeah, I think that was kind of early validation that, you know, maybe that there wasn't quite a, a business here yet, but that we were at least on kind of the, the on track with, with something that could be kind of cool. Um, and, and, you know, granted at the time, I don't think we had a very clear picture of what the product could look like in its final form, although we had kind of a, a kind of a rough idea of, of things we wanted. But going through that first manufacturing process, I don't even think because we, we certainly didn't know what that final product would really look like at the end and how heavy it would be, how much flexibility it would have, um, kind of what the, the crown shape would take and whether or not it would be tailored. So if we didn't really have an idea, then, you know, it, it, I can certainly say that the retailer wouldn't really quite have that idea as well. And so um, I think there was kind of a lot of blind faith and maybe trust from, from, from the retailer, but also from us that we kind of had at least the kind of the, the skill set to pull it off, or at least the vision. We were young enough to kind of, they, they trusted that we might have something uh, uh, something up our sleeve, or, 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 or at the very least, we'd be able to kind of figure it out as we went along. And, and that certainly ended up proving out. Very good. So the, all right, so they, you came to them with the prototype. They said, we'll take 144. How much time did you have to deliver? Yeah, so let me think back. Let's see. I would say it was probably it was probably somewhere between four months and five months. It, it wasn't very much time. Um, and for anyone who's ever manufactured offshore, um, you know, typically you're dealing with pretty long lead times. And so that's four to five months to kind of go from nothing to a final order is is kind of crazy. Yeah, to go um, from the, zero yeah. to something you're comfortable putting in someone's hands. <laughs> yeah, that's scary. Definitely. And it is. I think it's one of those situations where if you didn't know what you didn't know you probably wouldn't have attempted it i think that's right i mean even now like now do you think you would have done it (laughs) knowing what dealing with manufacturers is like you'd be like that's nuts i can tell you for sure that if a if a project has uh, a, a tight window like that even now knowing what it takes to go from nothing to something including all of kind of the packaging and the marketing behind it and the sales five months is not even close to being enough time um, so usually projects, just knowing what I know now, projects like that would just get scrapped or put off or pushed to like a different quarter. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I can tell you for sure that there's just, there's no question. I will say that the, the ignorance probably was in our favor on that one. Some early on the ignorance can, it really can, yeah. it can yeah. enable you to do things that in retrospect, you'd be like, that was stupid and terrifying. And I can't believe it worked. Thank God. I mean, yeah. 10 years ago, I, I co-founded my consulting business. It was not a consulting business. It was an e-commerce platform. We said, let's, you know what? Like I've got, like e-commerce platforms are pretty janky. It was 10 years ago. And uh, I got an idea for one that'll be easy to use. And it's a a niche thing. Let's go build that. And I had a technical co-founder and I'm like, okay, yeah, that's how you do this. I'll, you know, I'll design it and promote it and market it and he'll build it. And all right, well, we're good to go. No, of course. It, <laughs> now I'd be like, if someone said, "Oh, build an e-commerce platform," I'd, like I wouldn't be able to stop laughing and crying. Yeah, um, it's so true. But 
had we not attempted it, you know, I wouldn't be here now. Um, and in your case, the whole thing worked out. So, okay. It did. You've got, um, so how did you go from there? How did you go about, your new next step is, all right, we got to get this thing manufactured. What did you do? How did you get a manufacturer? What was step two there? Yeah, so this is where I think kind of that intersection between ignorance and passion and motivation and just blind luck kind of start to intersect once you just start taking on, you know, ambitious projects. Um, and that was certainly the case for us. You know, we we had this idea to kind of go to market with, with the duck store and kind of put Oregon trademarks onto onto the caps. And so there's a lot of pieces we're talking about here. The first is the manufacturing part. Uh, second would be kind of the licensing component. So going to the university and being able to kind of license uh, these marks, uh, you know, and then we're talking about the marketing behind it and, 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 um, and kind of all of the upfront work that goes into kind of merchandising the product in stores. And so um, it was around that same time that we were graduating and we had been, um, you know, I had been fortunate enough while I was a, a grad student to work on a project um, I, that had, that was a, a partner of the University of Oregon. It was called the, the RAIN Accelerator. Uh, and the accelerator program was a state, fun, Oregon state-funded accelerator that was just being built, and I was tasked as as one of the graduate students to help the uh, the director of that program start building that out. And essentially, it, it turned into a 16-week accelerator program for startups. And that first cohort uh, was launching just as this, as just we were graduating, and this kind of project was coming to life. And so, uh, you know, in working with the with the director, I asked, you know, would it be possible, you know, to to take uh, this company through that that first cohort, and he thought it would be an excellent idea. And so, a lot of those things that I just mentioned, you know, the licensing, um, the merchandising, the marketing, those are things that, um, along with business model refinement, those are things that we just got a lot of um, help with in the in those you know those first few months as we were trying to figure it out. Uh, I would say that that was that was pretty lucky. Um, the second kind of big luck factor, um, as we asked around and started kind of tapping our network to figure out if we knew anyone who could help us actually manufacture these things, we were put in touch um, with a, a connection uh, one of our, our instructors at the University of Oregon had to a, a man named Don Desarn who uh, owned a, a pretty massive hat facility uh, where we were from in, in Eugene, Oregon. And uh, this was kind of unbeknownst to us. We, we, we were put in touch with him. We we sat down at his his uh, massive facility and we showed him the prototype. He thought it was interesting, and he said, "You know what? I'll, I'll put you in touch with with a couple of my suppliers and uh, one of our manufacturers. And why don't you just see if you can prototype something and work with them over the summer to see if they can help you with this?" And so that allowed us to kind of get an inside track to um, kind of a, a really awesome uh, sampling and manufacturing system that I guess would have it would have taken us much longer to find. I think today now, you know. It, Knowing what we know and knowing where to look, it, it's pretty easy to, to figure that out. But at the time, it was pretty daunting to figure out how we were actually going to make these things in a production run. And, and Don and Pacific Headwear and him opening up his facilities to us and allowing us to kind of work with his people uh, really sped up that learning. Um, and so we were able, between the accelerator program and uh, the uh, kind of the access that we now had, we were able to kind of run really fast. Um, so those next kind of three, four months were kind of a blur. Um, you know, we, we, we push pretty hard in, um, in kind of all areas of our business. And so by the time that kind of that September, October timetable came around, uh, we, were, we were ready to go. That, that's all phenomenal. And you spelled it out as luck. And I love and hate luck. I tell people to look for what are your 
what are your unfair advantages? And I define them as such. Look for um, the things that give you, uh, well, the things that are that you have access to that not everyone else necessarily does. Those are your unfair advantages. And absolutely take full, unabashed, guiltless advantage of those. So long as you just acknowledge them as, hey, not everybody has access to this. So I'm going to make the most of it. Don't feel guilty about it. Um, and in your case, it was you were, you know, in this business school. I mean, I wish I was when I did business school, I wish I had a better vision at the time. And I had more, um, more maturity and less going on in my personal life. And I think I could have, you know, made more impressive connections, done, done some things differently. You took full advantage of those. You said we tapped our network. Aha. Okay. This is how you make your own luck is by casting, uh, create a, a wide sale in your life that will collect luck opportunities. And in your case, it was, you know, doing this thing, doing it in a, um, a more public way and telling your network about it and then making it part of this, um, um, well, being willing to ask and get it into this accelerator program. And I'm sure this whole thing was a ton of work. And on top of that, like getting a JD MBA and studying for the bar exam. And um, I don't know if you were working at the time, but man, you had a lot going on. This could have easily just been a thing that was like, you know, when you're building your own business, I like having partners. I like having other people. It adds accountability. And that accountability is kind of what keeps you going. I've had so many false starts just building Shopify stores for myself that never went anywhere and never managed to get it to go until I did one for my wife. Ah, okay, now I have accountability. So you had a business partner. Um, to- I, was a- I was actually just about to say that, that Kurt. I think and I'm happy you touched on that. Um, I think you know, one of the uh, kind of unfair advantages, as you say, starting out was that I had really great co-founders. Um, and between the three of us, you know, as much as we all had kind of in our own lives at that time. And, um, you know, it, I, both Chris and Whitney, my, my two amazing co-founders, both were working part-time. Uh, I was studying for the bar. And so it was it was pretty crazy those first few months. We were all doing a lot and wearing a lot of hats. Um, and and But I think the fact that there was three of us and we, we uh, kind of were accountable to one another. And, um, and we also had this amazing accelerator program and a, a network that was kind of kind of checking up on us. I think there was a lot of accountability uh, across across the line there. Um, and so I'm happy you touched on that because I think that's a really great point. Yeah, it'll, a lot. You know, partnerships could certainly go wrong, and that's like a whole separate conversation. And I hear a lot of people talk about that. But what they don't talk about is the great parts about it. And I think it's that um, the one of the, the best parts about it is, is having that accountability that helps you keep going forward. Um, Whereas if it was just you by yourself and you're not telling anyone about it, it's easy just to be like, I'll do that later, I'll do that later until you lose interest in it. Okay, yeah. so you had, um, you're able to get manufacturing, you're able to get these in stores, they sold out of them right away. One of the clever things you had, though, early on was licensing. I think this is um, an often overlooked thing, um, like licensing NFL stuff, big uh, you know, stuff like that is much more expensive. Licensing collegiate apparel much, much more reasonable than people would think um, and approaching just brands in general to do, to license um, their brands, their ass, their creative assets um, is a big early advantage that you can get simply by being persistent and asking because then, aha, so now you don't, it adds legitimacy to your brand and you don't quite have to run so much brand awareness around yourself because people are already aware of the, whatever this cross promotion is. So they may not have known Cowbucker, but they knew the school. They do OSU. 
Uh, University of Oregon. Oh, yeah. sorry, sorry. Uh, no, oh OSU is our is our uh, is our is our um, our big rival. Um, but 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 yes, uh, um, they did know of Oregon as the program, and I think um, to your point, uh, the licensing was kind of an early uh, an early advantage there for us. Um, you know, it's interesting. I, I, I think the a lot of kind of our early success is attributed to the uniqueness of our product, just as much as it is um, kind of the the equity of the brands that we were putting on our hats. And so that year actually ended up being a pretty amazing year for the University of Oregon. Uh, we went to the national championship game that year. Uh, we had the Heisman winner, Marcus Mariota, on our team that year. And so, and that just doesn't happen very often for a school like Oregon. Um, we launched, I think, the perfect time. And we were kind of this unique brand that was launching at the same time that this this kind of this, this powerhouse program, Oregon, um, from this small town was, was making some waves and doing some really unique things in the collegiate football space. And so I think we kind of all rode the wave to that, um, that kind of early success and, um, the equity of that Oregon brand, I think really carried us from that first school. And, and next year we were able to launch to, to many more schools just because we had such excellent sales and, um, excellent marketing and, uh, kind of the the products were really able to the our unique the uniqueness of our products was really able to pair well with the equity of the brand at that point and so um, I I don't I don't think it was a kind of a solo effort there I think we really were able to kind of get a lot of traction and steam that first fall uh, because of that licensing. So early on you've got um, you've got the hat you've got you've got this unique entirely new style of hat you've got this license it's attached to a team that is doing big things. What do you do next? What is the next step in scaling that business? Yeah, so we knew pretty early on that there was just no way um, we were going to be able to kind of create a sustainable revenue-generating business with just one product at one, one school, right? And so um, already, even during that accelerator program, we were thinking about ways that this business could kind of develop over the coming years. And, um, you know, the advice that we were getting were to not just think about scaling the number of institutions that we worked with, so just purely thinking in the licensing space, but also to start thinking about um, additional products that we could create under that brand portfolio, um, as well as additional kind of channels and and other verticals that we could be thinking about outside of licensed sports. And so I'll I'll tackle the I'll tackle each of those in part. Um, you know, we we kind of created this game plan to a for the licensing space start thinking about additional schools. And so uh, the following year, we went from, you know, one school, the University of Oregon, to by the time school started the next year, so this is now fall of 2015, we were working with about 20 um, campus stores across the U.S. And so that was scaling the licenses that we had in our portfolio. Um, two, it was thinking about additional products. And so uh, that following year, we started developing and, and kind of formalizing formalizing a plan to create other unique products that could fit under this brand portfolio of kick-ass hats, better adventures. And uh, we launched at the duck store and, and a few other early retailers, um, our first boonie hat, uh, which today is still one of our best-selling products. Um, and so it's a, it's a mesh boonie hat that's super lightweight, comfortable, adjustable, um, perfect for outdoor uh, kind of wear out, out on the river or, or on game day. Um, and then uh, the kind of the third part of that is thinking about other verticals. And so thinking, you know, we've, we've, we're kind of developing this, this really sustainable brand 
um, with outdoor gear and, and functional outdoor gear that looks a little bit different, that has a little bit more attitude, where else could we kind of uh, push our products out to? And so we came up with a, a kind of a couple of different verticals. Uh, the first is kind of state pride and, and USA pride gear. And so for 4th of July, we uh, aligned a Kickstarter um, with a uh, kind of a USA pride collection. Um, and that Kickstarter ended up getting filled for about 35000 if I remember correctly. Um, and then uh, other verticals included kind of our outdoor adventure line. And so our kind of our fishing and camping and hiking inspired line of caps. Um, and, uh, and then later on uh, this past year, um, pushing out our, our party line, uh, which is uh, filled with kind of festival wear and really loud 90s prints and stuff that people can be wearing, um, you know, at, at events and, and other kind of uh, fun outdoor um, kind of gatherings. Oh my gosh, I love, oh yeah, I see that on your website, party. Oh, oh, yeah, it's, ugly is cool again. Some of this, Ugly is cool again. <laughs> yeah, like we've seen, um, you know, years ago, Tipsy Elves on Shark Tank, I think, helped kick this off. Um, the fashion, fashion in general embraced it, and yeah, I love it. I've got some really garish <laughs> summer clothes. It's like, it's just fun once you give yourself permission to wear it. Definitely. Um, so I, this is my first time seeing these. I think I'm going to have to pick up one fine, ugly straw. The straw boy hat speaks to me. But oh, yeah, the straw boy. The visor and the fanny pack. My wife yeah. loves fanny packs. <laughs> yep, they're pretty fun. And we have some really great retail partners uh, that that are, are very much in line with that Tipsy Elves ethos. Um, and, and, you know, we've had a lot of success early on with this with this new line that we just launched. So we're pretty excited about the party line, too. Okay, so you had so – what I'm hearing is you had your initial success with um, with the collegiate store, and you said, well, why don't we just repeat that success? Um, and, of course, it's not that simple, but then you ended up with 20 other uh, licenses and in collegiate stores. Um, so quickly, like if you had one success, how do you repeat it? Well, you managed it. And then from there, um, did you start an online store or did you go to Kickstarter first? So we started our online store – Right around, we were kind of going through the, the earliest stages of our online store around the same time that we were prepping for Kickstarter. Um, and so both of those ended up being timed pretty pretty much very similarly. Um, I, I would say that the, 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 the Shopify store that we've created has really been a work in product, a pro- progress, uh, whereas kind of the Kickstarter was just a, a ton of work during a kind of a limited s- scope of, uh, of, of time. Um, and um, although kind of both started around the same time and, and were kind of being developed around the same time, um, the Shopify s- store and, and kind of our, our e-commerce platform has been um, something that we've just spent so much time working on and editing and changing and getting advice on and uh, working with fabulous partners like you and, and to kind of uh, iterate and make changes of over the last few years, uh, whereas the, the Kickstarter was very much just a three to four month hustle, hustle, hustle. Uh, here's the end results. Okay, now let's fulfill these backers uh, and and get get product to them before uh, before summer ends. I have never run a Kickstarter, but I have been adjacent to them. And your description of like it's a three three month sprint sounds about right. Where you are just it's a, I've heard people do more than one person go. Uh, what people don't realize is a running a Kickstarter campaign is a full time job for the duration of the campaign, and then afterward to do the fulfillment because you're essentially dropped with a giant pile of orders in your lap. Um, how many successful Kickstarter campaigns have you run? This is uh, this was my only 
um, experience running a Kickstarter campaign. Um, and it was it was definitely as you described. It was a, a just a three month, three to four month sprint, uh, working tirelessly. I think the thing that that I think the biggest kind of notion that I had that was pretty chal- challenged early on was that. Um, you know, for, for outside looking in, when you think about running a Kickstarter campaign, I think there's this conception that you can just have a really flashy video and really cool products, and you put it up on Kickstarter, and the platform, um, because of its reach and size, will take care of the rest. And your your product will go viral, you'll get funded, and and everyone will be happy, and you'll have all these like beautiful new customers that that you know want to work with you for the rest of your life. And I would say that. It was kind of a, um, a drilled into our heads during that three-month sprint um, that that is just not going to be the case. It takes a lot of work to uh, market your company on the platform. Um, the the native discovery on Kickstarter is pretty difficult um, to for new projects to get exposure. Uh, we were uh, one of the lucky companies to get that um, that Kickstarter badge. Um, it's, I think it was called featured product, and so I think only. A co- you know, maybe the top three percent of projects get get that badge. You're but a Kickstarter staff pick. That's what it is. Kickstarter staff pick, um, and that was uh, that was a lot of val- that was great validation for us, and I think it brought us a lot more exposure than we otherwise would have would have received. But um, I would say Kickstarter, the platform itself, is just is uh, is is awesome. It's a great way to launch a company or a business, but it takes a lot of work. So all of the things that you need to be doing for your business anyway. You know, driving traffic, um, finding new customers. The, those are all things you're going to have to be doing anyway. And the landing page just is going to be different. It's not going to be your website. It's going to be Kickstarter. And so that's probably my biggest advice is uh, how much work and energy it goes to running a Kickstarter campaign. And, and um, you know, it's, it's, it's a full-time job for the duration of the campaign. What, if you had to do it over again, how would you promote a Kickstarter campaign? <sighs> Yeah, so I would promote it um, very similarly to the way that we promote our website today, which is um, kind of a, a thinking through all of the traction channels that our user base uh, is living in, and, and kind of our primary one right now is Facebook ads, and um, having a, a, an amazing ad campaign lined up for the duration of the campaign that could drive substantial traffic. I would um, certainly, you know, we we paired with a lot of great press and. Um, PR and and uh, collaborators who uh, could help us kind of push out content to our our network and their networks. I would just have done that, but on steroids. So, um, 10x the 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 amount of people that we worked with to kind of share news and updates, um, and curated a, a much stronger list beforehand of of websites, of individuals, of emails that we could be kind of filling um, filling up updates with. Um, over the duration of those 30 days so that um, there wouldn't be any kind of dry spells during the campaign that uh, folks that felt, um, you know, connected to the products could could kind of follow along on the journey and share with their networks. I just would have done more, more I guess, just more prep work, more work um, during the, the campaign so that we, um, uh, we could really use all 30 of those days to, uh, to our advantage. And so from that experience... Um how helpful was that in success with the Shopify store? Yeah, so I, I you know, I think the success that you know we we got from the Kickstarter campaign, we had a, a whole bunch of people that were were super committed to following the brand and became brand advocates that we could then lean on um, through you know email blasts 
through, um, you know, uh, sharing our, our social content, which has paid dividends over the last few years because it drives more traffic to our Shopify site, um, uh, you know, over time. And I would also say it just caught, kind of got us in the early mindset that whatever we do in the future is just going to take, it's going to take work. It's going to take thoughtfulness to, to piece together a plan and a strategy to, uh, to continuously drive traffic uh, to the platform, whether it's Kickstarter or our website or whatever it might be. Um, you know, over a sustained period of time, it, it takes a lot of strategy and a lot of work and, and a lot of thoughtfulness to, to, to do something like that. And so I think Kickstarter was a really great, it was difficult, but it was a really, for the first time, I think it, it, um, it really put into, um, put into context how much work this was going to take to, um, to do this on a larger scale for a re- repeated period of time. So on the, um, switching back to the Shopify store, Building, coming up with the idea is the easy part. Building the Shopify store, not that tough. They make it easy, or you can hire someone to do it for you. Um, and then manufacturing the product, really tough, but you got that nailed. And once you get, you know, you learn the experience of it, goes gets easier, you know, what to look for. Um, or you have a trusted partner, thank God. And from there, you got to drive traffic to the website. I swear, that's going to be the biggest speed bump, is driving that initial traffic to the website. How did you go about it? What worked? What didn't? What advice do you have? Give me anything. This is where people struggle. So I'll, I'll say a couple of things. Um, first is, you know, as you know, I, I, I had, there's a couple of things going on in the background. Um, you know, I, I think I had a, uh, a really great co-founder, Whitney, um, who was willing to work with me closely to figure out how we could solve that problem and, and kind of, kind of crack that nut. And, and I think both of us were committed to discovering that process through um, reaching out to our network, to working with folks that were in the industry. There was a, some really amazing businesses that had awesome director of marketing um, uh, folks that were able to kind of lend a lot of insight on, you know, blogs that we should be reading, emails that we should be subscribing to, strategies that we could be employing on our social. And so that that process of just reaching out to our network and, and studying up and figuring stuff out early on those first few years was I think that commitment was kind of the first thing. Uh, the second was just testing things out. And so there, I can't tell you how many, uh, how much content we ran that was probably not very strong or good. Um, but you, over time, you start to realize what's more compelling um, because you're seeing the clicks, right? And uh, thankfully, the way that um, you know the social media platforms have been built today allows you know their their businesses to be able to track and, and um, you know optimize and monetize. Um, those metrics, and so we're we have front row seats to kind of what our content is telling us. Um, is it working? Is it not working? And so just testing stuff, throwing it against the wall uh, with limited budget behind it, and and then um, kind of scaling the stuff that's working. I would say that that's something that we still do today. Um, and then kind of the third piece to that, um, I knew that kind of in order to take this next step, if we were going to really start to reach a, a significant amount of users online, um, that I wanted to kind of study up and become kind of an expert in this area. And so that's where I was approached at the time to um, take on an entrepreneurship and marketing position at the U of L um, as a, a part-time instructor. Um, and I knew that this would force me to uh, be able to read up on kind of just how digital marketing works today, uh, especially for uh, for businesses that are trying to kind of convey their value prop to uh, a younger audience. And um, kind of teaching over the last few years has allowed me to uh, read up on just a number of books and materials and articles and uh, work with, you know, brilliant people in their industries, uh, bring them into class, hear what they have to say, um, 
And so I, I guess I could summarize all of this stuff in just a commitment to learn and improve, um, whatever that looks like. It, it could be testing, it could be reading, it could be meeting with other entrepreneurs or folks who know what they're talking about. Um, but kind of all, all of those things combined is, 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 uh, is what kind of helped us take that next step into to driving traffic to the platform, as you say. Certainly, uh, to teach something, you have to really understand it or at least understand it better than who you're explaining it to. Um, exactly, where, exactly. And so you're right, being able to like teach it really does um, help solidify it in your mind. Where do you go to learn? When you, What are your, your some of your favorite resources? Yeah, um, so I, I would say more now than before. I would say early on it was just articles, right? So I would try and find... Um, uh, really just like very narrowly tailored articles on subjects that I wanted to learn about. So whether it was content marketing or email blasts or uh, running effective Facebook ads or developing compelling content, I would just try and find really narrowly tailored articles that could that were kind of longer form that I could print out, read over and over, make notes, and then make strategies on things that we should be doing differently. Um, today, it's a combination of that and, um, and books, right? And I think there's... There's been a number of books that have been written over the last 20 years, 30 years. Some that have a lot of uh, a lot more root in um, in just kind of marketing principles that are timeless than digital marketing. But then also some really amazing, you know, digital marketing and, and thinking of kind of contemporary marketing uh, books that have been written in the last few years. Uh, you know, I think one of the the, the timeless ones that that uh, comes to my mind is a, a book by Lodish. I think it's called marketing or entrepreneurial marketing um, and I think he Lodish does a phenomenal job I, I think Lodish actually teaches at Wharton uh, the, the marketing program there uh, but does a phenomenal job um, kind of explaining what it means to understand um, kind of your customer your segmentation the value prop your positioning in a way that that's kind of not very wordy it's it explains it incredibly well and I think is incredibly timeless I, I think maybe the first iteration of that book was written gosh, in the 80s or the 90s. So it's, it's older. Um, and then in terms of kind of digital marketing, contemporary marketing, and thinking through how to reach your customer today, especially younger audiences, um, you know, this one is quoted pretty, pretty frequently, but it's a book called Traction. Um, and uh, Traction walks through uh, the, the different kind of channels to reach your potential customers and, and the process by which to think about reaching those customers um, in a kind of a repeatable, scalable way until you find the right traction channel that's going to drive the most kind of uh, revenue back to your business. I will add links to both of those. Uh, traction, yeah, it's a, a great book. Um, and what's the other? It's Lotus's uh, Entrepreneurial Marketing or Marketing That Works. It's one of those two. I will link yeah. uh, cool. in the show notes. Okay, we're coming to the end of our time together. A few lightning round questions. What's your favorite Shopify app? Oh man, you know, um, I, I'm 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 pretty excited about this 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 app that we 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 use to kind of engage with our customers. Uh, I, I, tell me if I'm butchering it, but I, I believe it's called uh, Tidio. Um, it's a it's a chat app. Oh yeah, yeah. Ty, uh, I was calling it Tidio for the longest time and was self conscious about it, right? Because it sounds like Tidio. Yeah. And then someone <laughs> I was. Someone said it first, and they said Tidio, and I was like, that's so much better. I'm going to go with that now. <laughs> but okay. honestly, I have no idea what the correct pronunciation is. Uh, I'm going to go with Tidio. There I, we go. I, I feel a little less self-conscious calling it that. But I think Tidio does, a, a, at least from what I've seen, a great job of allowing us to connect with our customers in real time. Um, and so if you reach out to 
to the, the to us on on Tidio, um, our chat app on the bottom right corner of your screen. You'll 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 be engaging with 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 one of the folks at our great company, and so it's a it's a great way. We've had some amazing conversions through that, um, and it's a great way to kind of get a little bit more connected here from our customers directly. So that one I think has been paying the most returns over the last gosh six months or so. What's uh, what's one thing you would do differently? You know, one thing I would do different for if in regards to Shopify, mm-hmm. I would have. Um, I, I think you know we talked. We've talked a little bit about marketing specifically and Kickstarter and some of these other areas. I think each one of of those projects carries with it its own unique challenges and um, and and with it like unique learning. And uh, I would say that that is certainly the case with a platform like Shopify. Um, Kurt, I know that when we were connected, I was really excited um, because I was finally able to kind of sit down and work with with someone who had an, an eye uh, for this platform specifically and the unique challenges that it brought. And working with someone like you, an expert on our platform, was really helpful, especially because you see things that you know I'm missing that um, Whitney, my co-founder, might be missing um, because you're so familiar with this platform and, and you see things in such a different way. So to answer your question, I would, I, you know, I always say find the people who are professionals in, in the, you know, the platform or, or the project or whatever it is that you might be trying to work through and, and, and find them early uh, and often and, and get their help. And so um, that, I would say that finding, finding folks like you um, and, or whoever those experts might be um, early on. Well, thank you. Bestill my beating heart. That's, that's a wonderful way to, to start the morning. I, I like that. That feels good. Um, yeah, I'm glad we were able to help. And I, I've always, the Cowbucker brand is fun. And I'm always drawn to brands that are fun um, because it, it's just they're more a joy to work on. Um, and certainly, I mean, even the name Cowbucker, I was like, what is that? The first time I heard about yeah. it from Jesse. Uh, okay, so with, what was it? Uh, last thing. You have uh, a special. I got in my notes. You have a special offer for our audience. Tell me about it. Yeah. So um, for all of your your audience members, um, Kurt, we'd love to give a a twenty five percent off uh, code off anything on the site um, through the uh, through the next week. And so uh, feel free to um, uh, pass that along. It's going to be uh, Kurt twenty five. Um, so. Yeah, happy, uh, happy to uh, to share that with your audience members. Very good, thank you. I've uh, I'll add that in the show notes. Um, cool, 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 cool. Derek, where could people go to learn more about you? Uh, they can uh, follow me on Twitter, uh, Derek E D W S, um, or you can just learn a little bit more about me on Cowbucker.com. We all have our, our uh, bios up, and um, you can uh, hear a little bit about my my early adventures being a ball boy and. Uh, the tears that resulted um, from that that fateful night. Derek, thank you. It's been a pleasure. And uh, to uh, our listeners, be sure, check out these hats. And man, this is your best opportunity to get a bitchin' fanny pack for 25% off. I think I'm going to go grab one. Use code 25 at cowbucker.com. And Derek, thank you again. Appreciate it. Thank you, Kurt. I appreciate it. Before we go, I wanted to tell you about the one Shopify theme I've used more than any other. It's called Turbo by Out of the Sandbox. And as its name implies, it's built for speed. But that's not why I love it. I love it because it's the most configurable feature pack theme for Shopify today. Features like predictive search, easy mega menus, 
infinite scrolling collections, and a ton of page templates for all of your content. And I've got a special offer for you. You can get it today at a 20% discount when you use the code PODCAST20. You can even try it for up to two weeks, and if you don't love it, Out of the Sandbox will refund it for you. So to check it out now, go to ethercycle.com turbo and use code PODCAST20 at checkout. It's ethercycle.com turbo. Our program was produced today by Paul Rita. The unofficial Shopify podcast is distributed by EtherCycle LLC. We'll be back next week with more value bombs for Shopify store owners. If you're looking for more high quality and actionable advice on learning the business of e-commerce, join thousands of other Shopify store owners on our totally free newsletter at eCommerce Bootcamp. That's eCommerce-Bootcamp.com.